Good morning once again, VRBC. Uh, you who are here in person, you who are online, uh, it is a privilege to open God's word with you and to talk about the power of fearing not, uh, to, to take God's word uh, at its heart. And so this morning we're going to be talking about uh, what it means to, to fear not when it comes to the power of God and specifically the power of prayer. And so I'd love for you to open your Bibles to uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. We're going to talk about the fear that a man named Zechariah possessed. And we're going to see in the process uh, what it means to really grasp the power of God, specifically as it's kind of mediated through the pain in our life, specifically as we learn the power of prayer. And so I want to read to you this passage, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 17. Hear the word of the Lord. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. God bless the reading of his word. The angel says to Zechariah, fear not, be not afraid. I'm gonna bet that you've had people say something similar to you many times. Many times you've heard the message in your life, don't be afraid. Now, probably a lot of the times you've heard that message, it sounded like an insult, didn't it? Somebody said to you, what are you afraid of? Don't be a chicken, don't be a scaredy cat. You ever heard those words before? Maybe they were telling you not to be afraid of the dark or not to be afraid of the high diving board or not to be afraid of the low diving board or not to be afraid of the water. You know, maybe they were telling you not to be afraid to watch a certain scary movie or to not be afraid of snakes or, or, or spiders or, or cockroaches. Maybe they were telling you not to be afraid to sign up for, uh, for advanced calculus or maybe they were telling you not to be afraid to go on a mission trip. Now, I don't know about you, but so many times in my life, when someone has said to me, don't be afraid, I want to tell them they are wasting their breath. It's too late. I am already 
afraid. I can't help it. I didn't choose fear. Fear chose me. Uh, Fear is falling all over me. You are wasting your breath, I want to say, when you tell me not to be afraid. But what if these words, fear not, especially when they come from a heavenly source, what if they're not wasted breath? What if they mediate to us a special kind of power? What if these words are transformative? You know, one of the, the, the big keys to living a life of faith over fear is learning to not be afraid of God's power, but rather learning to harness God's power through prayer. This morning, I want us to talk about two great things that go great together, and that is the gift of prayer and the power of God. The gift of prayer and God's power and how they go together. You know, sometimes we have doubts about both, don't we? Sometimes we ask, does prayer really work? Sometimes we ask, is God's power really available to me? In fact, I want you to notice that our passage opened with a sense of realism, didn't it? It opened with a sense of realism about prayer, didn't it? It it opened with more than a hint of disappointment. Did you hear it? In fact, we might just say that that what we begin with in this passage is the sorrow of unanswered prayer. We're just five verses into Luke's gospel. In five verses in, Luke introduces us to this old priest and his old and faithful wife. His name is Zechariah. Her name is Elizabeth. And these two people know a thing or two about the sorrow of unanswered prayer. Luke tells us three really important things to orient us to, to, to you know, who this couple is and what makes them tick. He tells us, first of all, they're from good stock. Zechariah is a priest Uh, But his wife also is a descendant of a priestly line from Aaron. In fact, one commentator kind of compared it to Zechariah and Elizabeth to a a priest being married to a preacher's daughter. Uh, That was the kind of uh, uh, their lineage, if you will. But not only that, Luke tells us that these two were faithful Israelites, not sinless. No one is sinless except for Jesus. But but, but look at how Luke refers to them in verse six. He says, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. You know, like so many of the people that we will meet in the first two chapters of Luke, Elizabeth and Zechariah were faithful Israelites. They were the kind of people the Old Testament prophets describe as the remnant. Remember uh, reading in the prophets and there would be all these Israelites who had gone astray and left God and followed false gods. But there would be the smaller group, the remnant. And the remnant kept worshiping even when everything fell apart. Even in the exile, the remnant kept worshiping, kept praying, kept living according to God's law, kept praying expectantly for the Messiah to come. They're the remnant. They're righteous. And then Luke tells us a third thing about them. Not only are they from good stock, not only are they righteous, God-fearing people, but these two people have suffered greatly in their marriage. There is a hole in their marriage, you might say, and that hole is described for us in verse seven. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old The text literally says that they had gone far in their days. They had gone far in their days. In other words, uh, likely soon after they were married and they were praying that God would help them to start a, a family, probably a large family, and maybe they were praying and hoping that any day now, any day now, God would bring news 
of a child. And yet one day turned into another, turned into another, turned into another, and now they have gone far in their days, thousands upon thousands of days, but not the answer that they, that they sought with that daily prayer request. You know, I wonder, I wonder how many of you can relate. Maybe there are some couples who can relate at a quite literal level. That, that dream that you shared when you were first married, the dream of children has, has yet to come true or maybe you would say has not come true. So many days and that answer you sought was not given. You know, live long enough as a Christian, really live not too long as a Christian and you'll, you'll have to confront the, the, the mystery of unanswered prayer. God's ways are not our ways, the Bible tells us. God does not always choose to answer prayers the ways that we wish. If so, God would just be like a vending machine, right? And we would uh, put our prayer in and we would pick what we wanted and it would just drop down. But, but that is not our God. And we have to deal with the sorrow of unanswered prayer. In fact, I wonder if this season that we are now entering, the holiday season, if, if, if it is a season where some of us feel that grief and sorrow most acutely. And so far be it for me to stand up here and give very easy answers about the mysterious ways of God. I'm not going to do that. But I do fully believe that God answers all our prayers. He just doesn't answer them in the way that we often ask them. I do believe that God can be trusted. And while the way that God intervenes in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth will be different than the way that God intervenes in your life and mine, I strongly believe that God has a way of using our pain as a platform to display his power. God has a way of showing us that our suffering is not unseen. God has a way of showing us that he is bigger than our pain. The angel says to Zechariah and Elizabeth and us, do not be afraid. God's power is not limited by your disappointment. God is up to something. There's a second thing that I think God teaches us about, about his power and about prayer, and that is the power of what I want to call unseen prayer. That's a strange phrase, isn't it? Unseen prayer. What do I mean by that? Well, as I studied this passage, I was struck by the, the contrast between what I want to call visible prayer and invisible or, or unseen prayer. What do I mean by that? Well, let's say that I walked in to this worship center on a Tuesday afternoon and the lights were on and I saw one of you in a pew down front and your hands were folded and your head was bowed. Now, I... I, I couldn't be sure what you were doing, and maybe, maybe you would just be taking a nap in a strange posture, but, but I would have a pretty good idea that what I was viewing was visible prayer. I, I would conclude by what I saw visibly that you were praying. Similarly, if I walked into a cathedral in Europe and saw somebody kneeling at, a, at an altar and lighting uh, a candle, once again, I am not Sherlock Holmes, uh, but I would probably rightly conclude that that person was offering a prayer of intercession for someone. That is visible prayer. And we see lots of signs of visible prayer in this passage, don't we? If you just look at verses 8 through 10, a whole lot of visible prayer is going on. And a lot of it is centered around the, 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 the priestly work of Zechariah. You know, in Israel, uh, they, they, there were a lot more priests who wanted to serve in the temple 
than there were daily volunteer slots. Uh, I think that happens sometimes with certain aspects of serving in the, in the Christmas store. There are more people that want to do this certain thing than, than there are slots available. And so uh, for, the, for the priests, uh, they had this system where uh, they, would, they would cast lots, would think of it as kind of a sacred act of rolling dice, and, and that would determine which particular priest got to do which particular priestly act on a particular day. And wouldn't you know it, the lot was cast and it fell on Zechariah. One commentator said this is a, a once in a lifetime opportunity for him. And so on this particular day, he would be privileged to walk into the holy place, a place where only priests would be allowed to enter. And the room would be mostly dark, but, but he would see that um, uh, golden seven-branched uh, lampstand with, with, the, with the flame, seven flames on it. And he would see the, the, the table that had the sacred bread, the showbread, the bread of presence upon it. And he would see a restricted curtain, that place that marked off the Holy of Holies where only one priest, a high priest, could go and only go there on one day of the year, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And then beside, kind of in front of the Holy of Holies, he would see this special place for prayer. Uh, the altar of incense. This is, uh, this is not a photograph, uh, but maybe just kind of an artist's rendering of what that place must have looked like. And so it would be Zechariah's job to go in and to kind of clean up the, the ashes from the previous prayer service and then to offer fresh incense. Now incense is a sacred symbol. When you light incense, the smoke rises, it's a, uh, a pleasant, appealing kind of fragrance. And, and incense is an image of prayer. It is our prayers rising and God being pleased by the fragrance, God being pleased by our prayers. And so, and so here Zechariah is and he's going into the temple and he's offering prayers on behalf of the people. He's, he's calling upon God to intervene in Israel. He's calling on God, God, won't you send your Messiah. All that's very visible, at least to uh, Zechariah's eyes. And likewise, outside in the holy place, or outside the holy place, in kind of the courtyard of the temple, uh, we also see more signs of visible prayer. In fact, look with me at verse 10. And when the time for the burning of the incense came inside the temple, in the holy place, where only priests could go, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Isn't that a powerful image? A visible prayer. The priest is inside the temple in the holy place, but there are faithful Jews outside of the courtyard and they are praying for the one praying. I love that. They are praying for the prayer. Now, you know, it's not exactly the same thing, but, but one of the things that I have loved through the years is, is, is when I see someone come to the altar to pray and then I see people get up and kind of move forward and they put their hands on the one praying. Maybe that person is praying about a significant need in their life or maybe they're praying about a, a mission or an adventure or a calling of God. And just to see people laying hands and praying for the prayer, it is a beautiful sign of visible prayer. Visible prayer is beautiful. But let us never forget that what goes on visibly when we pray is nothing compared to what goes on invisibly. You know, sometimes the Bible gives us a little glimpse of what happens invisibly, what can only be seen with eyes of faith, what happens invisibly when we pray. And this is what happens to Zechariah. 
I want you to look with me at, at verse 11. It says, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Now here's just a little clue when you're reading the Bible. Whenever you see that phrase, angel of the Lord, that is a special angel. That is a higher up angel. That is an executive C-suite level angel. In fact, so often when you see the phrase angel of the Lord, it's, it's almost as if they are speaking directly for God. Now later, not in, in the passage I read to you, but in verse 19, we are told who this executive angel is. He's the famous angel Gabriel. He is, he is a, an angel of great power, and he's standing at the right side of the altar of incense. The, the right is the place of honor. One commentator, Michael Card, says maybe it took a little while for the smoke of incense to clear and for, and for Zechariah to actually see what he is looking at. And he's getting this rare glimpse of what happens when we pray. What happens when we pray is that there is invisible reality of heavenly activity. We see it throughout the Bible. The prophet Isaiah got a glimpse of this. Remember in Isaiah 6? He had a vision. He says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Not choo-choo train, but, but the hem of his garment was so massive and glorious, it filled up the entire temple. He had a, he had a vision of the invisible glory of God made visible in front of him. Peter and James and John, that kind of inner three uh, disciples of Jesus, they, they had an experience like this. They thought they were going on a little prayer retreat up in the mountains with Jesus. And all of a sudden they look around and there's Moses from the Old Testament and there's Elijah from the Old Testament and Jesus himself is in the middle and he's glowing. He, he's, he's being transfigured in front of them. The, uh, uh, that same John uh, uh, that I just mentioned uh, in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, he had an amazing experience of the invisible reality of prayer. You know, John and Jesus were, were close friends. In fact, the night before Jesus died, uh, we're told that John was kind of reclining his head against the chest of Jesus. But when John sees Jesus in Revelation 1, when John has this vision and he sees Jesus, it is a completely different experience. He sees Jesus in glory. He's wearing this golden sash. His eyes are, are, are blazing like fire. His feet are burning bronze. He speaks and his voice sounds like, like a waterfall. He holds seven stars in his hands. And get this, from his mouth there is this sharp double-edged sword. And do you know how the apostle John, the son of Zebedee, do you know how he responded to that vision? Incoming! I mean, he, he, he lay down in front of Jesus as though dead. What happened? He got a vision of the unseen reality behind our prayer. So friends, let's don't mistake visible prayer for invisible prayer. You see, sometimes when we pray, we feel like we're, we're slipping this little prayer envelope under God's door. Maybe some assistant will put it on his desk, but his desk is just piled high with all these really important requests. And then there's our little bitty envelope, and it can't help but get lost. Sometimes we have the sense when we pray that maybe God is too busy to deal with our little insignificant problems 
on earth. In fact, maybe on our worst days, we fear when we pray that we are wasting our breath. And God sends Gabriel to say, fear not. Don't be afraid to pray. Don't be afraid to ask for God's power to be made manifest in your life. I think we ought to challenge one another to to pray like we mean it. I think we ought to challenge one another uh, to to worship like we mean it, to to pray like God means business. I've always loved this little excerpt uh, in the writer Annie Dillard's uh, book, Teaching a Stone to Talk. She, She talks about this kind of true worship and, uh, and she says that too often we church people, and by the way, pardon her sharp tongue, this is Annie talking, not me, okay? Uh, but she says too often we, we church people are, are, are like cheerless, brainless tourists on a package tour of the absolute. She asks, does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke when we pray? She says, when you think about it, churches are, are like children playing on the floor with chemistry sets, <clears throat> only they're, they're mixing up TNT, they're making dynamite. She says, she says it is madness to, for, for, you know, to come to worship wearing ladies' straw hats and velvet hats. She said, we should all be wearing crash helmets when we come to worship. She said, ushers should issue life preservers and, and signal flares when we come to worship. Church, be not afraid. Despite your disappointment, be not afraid. Despite your doubt, be not afraid. Be not afraid to pray because God is always up to something and God's power is so much more brilliant and vivid and deeper than human vision. Which leads to the third act, if you will, which I want to call the momentum of unstoppable prayer. The momentum of prayer, that, 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 the prayer that's power that just keeps going and going and going. You see, Zechariah does what we sinful human beings tend to do when we're confronted with God's holiness. It's what John did in Revelation 1. It's what Isaiah does in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, Zechariah seized up with fear. In fact, verse 12 uh, puts it this way. When Zechariah saw him, the angel Gabriel, he was startled and was gripped with fear. For a while, the momentum stops. God wants to do something powerful through Zechariah, but fear falls on Zechariah like an avalanche. I mean, he is, fear engulfs him. He is buried under fear. But then that word of God comes. Not wasted breath. It is the word of God from God's messenger. And what does it say, verse 13? But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Fear not, Zechariah. And then listen to this. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. Isn't that amazing? What a beautiful promise. VRBC, your prayers have been heard. Your prayer has been heard. Let's not shrink back into fear. 
And, and in fact, that was Zechariah's first reaction and God had to teach him a hard but powerful lesson. You see, for a, for a season, Zechariah would lose his voice. He would be silent. All the while, his wife Elizabeth uh, first becomes pregnant and then gives birth. And then the whole community comes around to marvel and celebrate. You know, they say sometimes when you lose one of your senses, it makes the others stronger. And Zechariah, unable to speak uh, for almost a year, would have had many days to contemplate God's power, God's powerful answer to his prayers. And so finally, when this miracle baby is born, uh, and eight days later, he's due to be circumcised. That's when he's going to get his official name. His official name is going to be written on his birth certificate. And everybody assumes this boy has to be called Zechariah Jr. I mean, there's, there's no other name than to call him little Zach Jr. You have to call him that. And, and you know, Zechariah, who temporarily, right, he can't speak, but he says, bring me a tablet. You know, he's playing Pictionary. And he says, bring me a tablet and, and or charades, I guess that would be. And, and, then, he, and then he writes down, and he, and he, he writes down his name name is Johanan. His name is John. His name is God is gracious, which is what John means. And later we would come to know this John as John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. And when he wrote down his name is John, his tongue was loosed, and he and Elizabeth praised their gracious God, no longer doubting God's power, no longer afraid of God's power, but celebrating God's power, which would continue to gain momentum. This boy would bring them joy. He would bring them delight. Uh, they, would, uh, they would raise him in a certain way. They were told by the angel that, that he needed to take a Nazarite vow to not drink any alcohol. The only spirit that he would ever be filled with is the, is the Holy Spirit. And, and that this boy would go on to do great things and that he would, he would minister in the power of Elijah. He would be like a new Elijah and that his preaching would result in families being brought back together. His preaching would result in repentance. His preaching would result in people being prepared for the Messiah to come to earth. And they got to see the beginning of their prayers set something in motion that never stopped. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read a passage like this, you know, one of the first things I think is, well, yeah, but I'm not Zechariah, you know, and I'm not, and, and, and neither are you. God obviously called on Zechariah and Elizabeth to play a unique, never to repeat it, be repeated role in the coming of Jesus. But friends, we worship the same God who has the same power, who possesses the same mission, who fills us with the same spirit. We worship a God of grace, a God who brings joy and delight. We worship this God who is a God of power. We worship a God who sends Jesus into the world, a God who sends Jesus into our hearts. And sure, sometimes it is scary. Sometimes like Zechariah, we get snowed under by fear and we want to run. But I wonder, I wonder who here today needs to say in your heart right now, Lord, I want to hitch my life to your power. I want to see my prayer answered by you in such a way that the momentum keeps going. I wonder who here needs to say, Lord, I, I want to pray past present disappointment. I want to keep praying. I want to pray in faith. I wonder who God is saying to you today, 
be not afraid to pray. Don't doubt my power, but channel it. Recently, um, some friends shared with me an amazing story about a friend of theirs. Her name is Claire Colwell. When Claire's biological mother was only 13 and pregnant, uh, her mother's mom took Claire's mom uh, to an abortion clinic. Uh, She said the doctor never spoke a word to her. The procedure was performed. And it was only later discovered that Claire's biological mom was actually carrying twins that her twin sister perished, but that Claire miraculously survived the procedure. A second abortion was scheduled, but due to complications, it never happened. Her mother gave birth, Claire was born, and later adopted. And like a lot of adopted children, as Claire grew older, she was curious, you know, about her birth mother and wanted to meet her. But the question is, what would she say? How would she respond? How would you respond? How would I respond? But this particular meeting was bathed in prayer. And Claire and her biological mom actually had a joyous reunion. And Claire said she felt God's power because she felt nothing but love for her birth mother. She said she had compassion for the situation her birth mother found herself in as a a 13-year-old unwed mom And Claire said, God somehow filled me with compassion. That's the kind of thing God does through prayer. I wonder, where is it in your life right now that you need a fresh dose of God's power? I wonder what situation that maybe God is leading you toward in a way that God led Claire toward that situation. You know, Luke says that when the Spirit is unleashed, John the Baptist is going to prepare people for Jesus. And one of the signs is that the hearts of parents are going to be turned toward their children. One of the signs is that there are going to be these unexpected family reunions that break out. Where do we need to pray for God's strength, God's reconciliation, God's wisdom, God's compassion, God's boldness? How can we harness God's power this week through faithful prayer? Friends, be not afraid. Zechariah walked out those temple doors a different man than he walked in. Yes, still struggling with doubt, still struggling with fear. But in the process of being changed by a fresh infusion of the Spirit's power, let's do the same as we walk out these doors. Let's put on our crash helmets and let's pray and let's trust God to move with power. Would you pray with me? Ah, Spirit of the living God, we ask for your presence to move in this place. We ask for your presence to move in the places where all are viewing this uh, service right now and participating virtually in the service. Lord, let us feel the prompting of your Holy Spirit. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts. Give us a glimpse that the reality behind what we are praying about is so much bigger than we ever thought. Lord, help us to trust that you're a God of power and you use our feeble prayers to 
change things and to change us. Lord, could we pray some prayers this week that through your grace and power have a momentum that goes far beyond the present day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.